0: Good morning, everybody, again. I love that the Gypsy just stood up here with the tail just going like this. You could tell she was like, all these people love me and want to pet me, but I'm stuck up here on this stage if I could just come down and visit. So anyway, that's how we're growing as a church. We're just starting to invite all of our pets, Right? Exactly. So, well, here we are. Um, We are in the last week of our series titled Living Counter-Culturally, and we've spent three weeks discussing how the beliefs and practices, arts, music, um, a given geography help make up the culture of a given area and how culture should really matter to us as Jesus followers, we talked about the verse where Jesus said, "You will be in the world, but not of the world." And what does that really mean? And then look for, uh, look like for us as Christ followers. Um, we talked about how it wouldn't be easy or come without pain when it comes to living counterculturally. So, Jesus made it clear that the world would, in some cases, reject us, uh, would be annoyed with us, and in some cases, he says, would actually hate us because we don't subscribe to culture's ideas. So, over the centuries, Christians have lived lives that were counter to the culture and, quite frankly, contributed incredibly to the advancement of the arts and science and medicine and ultimately culture and society. One of the most profound ways that I want to talk about beginning this morning that Jesus followers have had a direct impact on culture is centuries and centuries of Christians who were influenced to follow the teaching and example of Jesus when it came to reducing human suffering. Matthew 25, 40 says this, Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Jesus reminding us that that there is this importance, that he sees what we do... And that there is a direct connection that He has with those that we serve, for the least of those. And so, I was studying up a little bit on this. And so, prior to Christianity, there were some Buddhist regions that had kind of these hospital-like structures initially, where they might care for people, um, and started that. But when Christianity started to really flourish and spread, these centers really became to, like, started to become much like hospitals and grow exponentially. And so one thing that was really counter. To the culture with that was that the Greco-Roman world kind of where Christianity grew up through viewed the sick and disabled and dying really with cruelty in a lot of ways and so there was this you know unless there's a high quality of life then they were expendable and so we had a wide practice of abortion infanticide poisoning was widely practiced. And so within that, there was kind of a small band of physicians who had committed to this, what we know as the Hippocratic Oath. But then, once the Christian faith started to flourish in cities with larger populations, these hospice centers started to pop up where Christians were building places and focusing on taking care of the sick. Poor widows, the disabled, the poor were fed and given free burial. Elderly men and women, prisoners, sick slaves, and outcasts were loved and cared for. There were wards for travelers who were sick. There was housing specifically for lepers. Numerous church leaders dedicated themselves to the service of the seriously ill, and their motto was, Help them as would Christ. Help them as would Christ. And so here's what's really cool about this. Obviously, there's this effort to reduce human suffering, but in that, their lives influenced the entire culture. Of the time. People in the mainstream culture started seeing that, oh my gosh, we can't just reject people like we have in the past. And so the Christians were leading the way. They were the upstreamers. And honestly, that's one of the things that I think we've always dreamed of as a church, is that those that are in this area would say, okay, we may not believe what those Christians believe, but there's no denying that Orlando is a city that is better off because of Christians' presence. Like, that is a goal and a dream of ours, that, that some might say, well, we don't necessarily subscribe to what those H2O people believe, but you can't deny that our neighborhood here is better because of their presence. So as these hospice centers started to flourish, we also saw Christians that were in medicine making groundbreaking progress. And so names like Pasteur and Lister, Faraday, Davy, Simpson, Keene, there's a ton more. All of them were outspoken about their faith, and they were motivated by it. So, they develop these new and effective treatments like in surgical practices, anesthesia, clinical medicine, and then even this further um, Christian thought that has shaped this modern profession's ethical conduct, like promoting personal integrity and truthfulness and honesty. And so, we have public health, we have medical missions, female doctors the Christians, again, were the trailblazers, and the world is better off, literally, because of Christians' presence. In the 19th century, the modern nursing was born, and it had much to do with the work of Elizabeth Fry and Florence Nightingale, and their revolution in the practice of nursing included making it this socially acceptable pursuit for women. And Florence Nightingale was deeply influenced by this small Christian hospital in Kaiserswerth in Germany, and it was run by um, a group of Protestant church leader women, a group of deaconesses, and how they led And their response to this biblical command to take care of the sick and educate neglected children, it provided a template for what we see with modern-day hospital nursing. Really interesting and exciting to hear these things that we often don't hear about. Um, So there were these improved standards as a result of their influence, and their desire to care. So night nursing, this first nursing school that started. um, By the end of the century, they had gained professional status, largely um, due to the work of a, a woman named Ethel Fenwick. Majority of the nurses being inspired to serve by Christian ethics. Then we had missionary nurses. We had Mother Teresa and Emma Cushman who worked tirelessly in awful conditions to bring Western medicine to help people and reduce suffering. So, quite honestly, I mean, the influence of Christians following Jesus' example, it is huge. Huge. It has changed the world as we know it, and the world is better for it. The world is healthier and has less suffering because of Christians. Our oldest, Luke, was born at St. Luke's in Toledo, Ohio. okay Advent Health in the Florida hospitals here in Orlando. Is there anybody here that works for Florida hospitals? A few, okay right on. And so their roots, they were started about 150 years ago through the Seventh-day Adventist Church in Michigan. And their goal was we are committed to caring about the entire person spiritually, emotionally, and physically. That's the roots of these large hospitals even here in Orlando. The emphasis and compassion for the hurting has been driven by the gospel. And it's changed the world as we know it. And so I wanted to take a minute and and have Christy share a little bit. So Christy, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you and David did. Yeah, come on up here. Yeah. Come on up here. and, And I'm going to show some pictures here. We're gonna show some slides, and um, that's me. That's you. Yeah. Are, well, maybe that might not be you. No, I could. The eyes for sure. Right here. You go.
1: Hi guys. Happy Sunday. Um, David and I had the honor of going to Iraq. So I worked at Florida Hospital at the time, and over much prayer and discernment, David and I felt like I needed to quit, which was really scary. I had no plan and the day after I turned in my resignation, Samaritan's Purse, which is the organization we were talking about earlier, they called me, texted me, and emailed me, (laughs) and asked me to go to Iraq, to Mosul, Iraq. So this was in 2016, and if you guys remember, there was a war going on. ISIS had taken over the city of Mosul, and they were slaughtering people. It was horrendous. And the Iraqi government asked a Christian organization to come in and set up a field hospital to take care of war casualties. So that's miraculous all by itself, because Muslims don't usually like Christians. And so I was able to go over the first flight of people. We set up the hospital, organized it, and then we started accepting patients. And we took care of everyone, men, women, children, Iraqi um, soldiers, as well as ISIS warriors. And I will tell you, every person that came through that hospital, they got prayed over, and we talked to them about Jesus. And I wish I would have done it sooner, But I started keeping a tally of how many Muslims gave their life to Christ. And in two months, it was 17 people, which is amazing. (laughs) So, um, yeah, that's my baby. (laughs) Um, So uh, actually I was there for a month and then David came over with me. He's not medical. But his uh, nickname was MacGyver. He was the maintenance man for the entire hospital. So anytime we needed something fixed or we had a problem and we needed something jerry-rigged or created, he would invent it. And um, yeah, it was just—it was the best time and the worst time of our life. And if any of you want to hear more, just write Iraq on your blue card. We would love to have coffee with you and share. It is such a blessing to us. And God did amazing things. So thank you for letting me share. Yeah.
0: Thank you for I just love how <clears throat> you know you guys used your gifts in that in those areas. And David, with your ability to fix stuff, I've seen you do this in my house, you know, with a couple paper clips, he can build a cruise ship. It's amazing. So <laughs> Um, so, yeah, just the hearing about this, and again, there is this, this history of taking care of people and serving, um, man, it's hard for me when I hear this statement, and I've heard this many times in college campuses, I've heard this when I was in Europe, and that was, the world would be so much better without Christianity. That could not be further from the truth. Couldn't be further from the truth. So much of what is good and beautiful in the world is the result of Jesus followers who lived counter to the culture. In Orlando alone, we have hospitals, obviously, that were started by Christians. We have medical care, work training, ID services, clothing, and 27 free meals served a week for the homeless, started and maintained by Christians. We have free crisis pregnancy centers to serve single moms and single um, dads, too, funded and maintained by Christians. We have some incredible nonprofit organizations that are doing amazing things every single day that were started and are maintained by Christians. I remember talking once with a guy that I had gotten to know, a homeless guy that I actually drove to the woods and helped him bring his stuff out of the woods and leave that that area. And he told me, he said, you know, I hate it when I hear people slam Christians because if it wasn't for them, we wouldn't eat or have places to stay. And they're the ones that are behind the scenes doing these things for us. So I know Christianity gets a really bad rap out there in the media. And these are not the things we hear And these people that are doing this every week, they are not asking for any, like, media attention or any of that. They just go about their business serving other people. So, us as Christ followers, we've been called to live our lives in a way that looks markedly different from our neighbor's. And our hope and prayer is that everything about this community looks different. This distinctive factor with the early Jesus followers was not just what they believed. No doubt what they believed was radically different than anyone else on the planet. But also the effect and the lives that they lived as a result of their beliefs. That created this countercultural living and here's what it looked like they valued others above themselves they had women in prominent places of leadership in the churches in their churches serving alongside the men radically different than what was going on in other areas at the time they were taking care of widows. They were saving babies that were left to die. They were loving their enemies. They were praying for their enemies. They were taking risks with their lives. They were forgiving others who had hurt them. They were not lying but telling the truth in all matters. They were not giving in to culture. They were doing other strange things, sharing meals, their property, and their finances with each other like a big family. That was so counter to the culture. And then they were valuing the weak and the disabled and the sick. So how do we practically live out our beliefs counter to the culture in one way? that I want to finish on and in my opinion is absolutely imperative for us to be um, living counter to the culture is for us to be meaningfully engaged in a life group community. Okay? Let me talk about why. For 16 years okay, maybe longer, 17, Allison and I have had a life group that meets at our house, okay? And a life group is a people, a group of people that are doing life together, okay? We've had a life group almost every single week for those 17 years where we connect with our friends, we share scripture. We share our lives. We love on new people that are being introduced to the community. We pray together. We worship together. We laugh together. We jump in our pool together with our clothes on, Justy. She's done it a couple times. We eat a meal together. Our entire neighborhood knows about it. Everywhere we've lived they know on a Wednesday night there will be a bunch of cars outside the Porman house and the lights are all on and there's a bunch of warm hearts inside. And this is what our neighborhood looks like. That's, on Wednesday nights, that is our neighborhood. <laughs> okay, now, nobody in our neighborhood does this, okay? Uh, sure, Christmas an Easter or a holiday, there's a bunch of cards you can tell where people are having get togethers and that thing, that type of stuff. But every single week, every Wednesday, nobody's doing that. It's counter to the culture. Haups have done it, chews have done it. If you want to just hang out and have fun and get to know God and other people, go to the chews house, okay? Vince is like, oh, no, more. <laughs> they have a pool now, even more stuff to do. Yes, you know, and it's just like, man, families and people see that. It's so unique. It is, we are used to that, haven't we? We've grown used to that. That is totally unusual and to the culture that we are consistently, over these years, doing that. There are very few families that are constantly inviting friends, neighbors, even just new people that they meet to come into their house and just hang with them. And it's tiring at times. And it's inconvenient. And people's lives don't fit into that, like, two-hour window. There's so much more but that is what God has called us to. Why is this important to us? It's because this is one of the things that we read the book of Acts, the actions of the early Jesus followers. It's filled with stories about them doing life together like this, eating together, Spending time together, serving one another. And so I just want to challenge you if, um, like, I want to challenge you in that we have life groups that meet throughout the city and throughout the week. We want to really encourage you to no longer, like, sit back and just hear about it, but step into one and become engaged relationally outside of this time. Not only will you benefit that group, those people need you, but you need them. There's a reason that God calls us to this kind of countercultural living. Because it provides encouragement, protection, and accountability. Alice and I, we we have some friends, some couples that were a part of our life groups over the years. And all of them eventually kind of got isolated in some ways. Um, maybe it was they were too busy or too long a drive, whatever. But all of them are having major struggles right now. Is that why? Is that the sole reason? Because they, don't, they aren't engaged in a life group? No, it's not the sole reason. But have they been on, like, doing life alone for a while now? Yeah, they have. I remember hearing... Um, this illustration when I was a really young Christian, and that was just that, you know, an ember on a fire that if you, you put it off by itself, it eventually kind of grows cold. But when they're kept together, they're able to warm each other, and it stays, it stays warm. And I think that's a really good lesson for us as Jesus followers. Like, we are not made to live in isolation, Men, you are not made to live your life alone with no other men knowing your weaknesses and your struggles. That's why we do courageous. Like, we are not going to be okay with that. That's what the world is okay with. We're going to live counter to that culture. If we live out who we have been created to be in Jesus, well, we're indwelt with a God who functions Himself in community, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. If God operates in community, like what makes us think that we can operate without it on our own? Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's ignorance. Maybe it's fear. There could be a number of legit reasons where we're just like, I don't know if I want to do this. I know there's probably some good reasons, but we want to finish with this kind of challenge and prayer for you. Will you consider joining or starting or teaming up with some others maybe to start a new life group and start living counter? to the culture. And yes, this is a shameless plug, okay, for life groups. Why? Because this is an admonishment and a core value that is absolutely biblical and it's one of the hallmarks of living counterculturally. For some of you that live this, there are many of you that live this kind of life where you're interconnected and you're not alone, it is beautiful to watch. If you're not connected with others in a meaningful way relationally, we want you to get alone with God and read Acts chapter 2 and ask God to speak to you through His Word. Last thing, the way we love one another, serve one another, tell the truth, are committed to character, our sexual ethics, our business practices, our speech, our attitude, our driving habits, Uh-oh. our interactions with people who might treat us poorly, the way we forgive, the way we serve our neighbor, the way we give our finances and time to others, All of that taken together will determine if we will once again become culture shapers who live upstream and influence the world for the gospel. Scripture is clear. That is what Jesus desires for us. Not to be swept away by the world, but to be filled by Him and fueled by Him while he gives us the grace to operate above the world. God has saved us not for mediocrity, not for isolation, not for crowd following. He saved us for excellence and influence. And he sent us on a mission to represent him to the world by living counter to the culture. Let's pray. Lord, we are so thankful for the millions of followers that come before us that laid the groundwork, that gave their lives to biblical principles to serve others, to reduce human suffering, to go to the corners of the earth wherever they could go to tell people about your grace and your forgiveness. And they did it together. They did it in teams. You sent them out in twos, even that. It wasn't good for them to just go alone. And so God, we want to learn from that. We ask that whatever these things are, that you're impressing on our hearts where we can live counter to the culture that God, we would say, yes, I'm going to be courageous and I'm going to do that. And we ask God that give us those kind of courageous hearts that are willing to trust you and try this. Just trust and obey that old time song that is so simple and yet not easy to trust and obey. God, would you make us believers that are committed to those two things? In Jesus' name.